Welcome to this week's Deacon Family Podcast. Yes, we are very excited this week to have a very special guest, which we'll get to in just a moment. But Cheryl, how are you doing? How are things uh, for you during this uh, lockdown? Well, I think we've gotten into the to the phase of this is normal. Now, what do I do to spend my time? At yeah. least from the point of view, like um, over the weekend, my six-year-old decided he wanted to start making all these cooking videos. Oh, nice. Which was which was really cute, and then it got to the point like he made so many videos. I think he's got like nine videos now. Wow! Um, actually, he did them um, using the Ruby Roth book. Yeah, we've had a podcast before, um, and he he'll show the recipe up, and then he'll kind of teach you you know how to do it. And of course, the four year old wants to be part of it, so he pops up and he's kind of you know kind of photobombing. Yeah, videos which is like funny. And then they started taking that and started making other kinds of videos. I've got the four-year-old doing like a science experiment with like LaCroix and potato chips. I've got a video <laughs> of him, four-year-old making a, um, a core course like at our house. Like he's like, oh, yeah, of course. Jumping over things. And then he's like, now I have to get past our mean dog. And she's, she's not mean. She's just sitting there in the video. <laughs> That's like great. We the whole thing now is like what they do to like kill time. So I think that's that's where we are. We I I would agree. You know, there's a big thing that's happening right now. As you said, we've all reached a certain threshold, and we are now on day 50. Who's counting? Um, and part of that is this day to day where you do your homeschooling, you do your work that you do, of course, as a you know full time employee of an animal rights group. Um, and then you decide it's you know, you, re- you realize that it's one o'clock in the afternoon, and you still have a lot more hours in the day, and this has been going on and on. So uh, hang in there. Um, you know, they say we're all in this together, which is kind of ironic because none of us are actually together. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we'll get through it. And I think, you know, uh, helping to sort of uh, dovetail into this week's guest, um, how are things on the on the food front? Are you finding yourselves well-nourished? Are you able to go to the store? Um, yeah, the stores have had more stuff in them yeah. the last couple of weeks, which I think is really nice. I don't know if that's how it goes with you, but I mean, this is the first time in like six weeks that we've had tofu in the house. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. There's been a um, shortage here, too. Much more, doing a lot more cooking, I think, with the kids being really interested in doing cooking videos and stuff. But also, you know, we pulled out our air fryer. We've got, you know, just a lot more. I think, again, it's like we're just kind of in the groove of this now. Yeah, yeah more creative and there's more it doesn't feel like the first couple of weeks when it was like um i can't get chickpeas yeah. chickpeas in the city yeah you know. how are we going to get through this so uh with that said we will be right back it's time for animal outlook's vegan family podcast with your hosts eric c lindstrom and cheryl Leahy. Yes. So, you know, as you said in the intro, it's a time now where we're actually cooking a lot more at home. Um, We are planning, we're actually pulling out cookbooks. I'm one of those cooks. Of course, I can't call myself a chef, but I'm one of those cooks that whips things up and it turns out great. I'm really lucky like that. 
but I've gotten to a point now where I actually need to lo- start looking at these cookbooks because I'm running out of, <laughs> you know, quiver, quivers yeah. in my arrows in my quiver. Um, I need to find new recipes. I need to try new things. I need to make my shopping, you know, a little bit more uh, purposeful. So, but it's fun. I mean, we're trying new things and I think we're, we're all hanging in there and doing a really good job. Yeah. And I think this is also a good time to start, you know, developing healthier habits too, which is why I'm so glad that we have our guest on today. As am I. It's it's such a great honor to introduce Juliana Hever. Um, I've known her about her forever, and it's just great to finally have an opportunity to talk with you. So welcome to the Vegan Family Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We we really appreciate you. coming on here. I've, I've sort of known of your work for a number of years here, having been kind of in the vegan world, although from the animal side, and then you're coming at it from the um, health and nutrition side. And I think this is this is the area that a lot of people really kind of struggle with, even if that might be their initial motivation coming in. There's a lot that, that you know, we all grow up with in terms of beliefs and feelings about food and kind of that insecurity about, is this really healthy? How do I do this? Absolutely. There's so much deep-seated passions and beliefs and systems in place about nutrition. And then because of that, there's so much misinformation out there and people get so confused. I mean, you know, needless to say, it's like there's all this constant bombardment of messaging. You don't know what to take in and what to um, not. And then add it this whole layer of plant-based and, you know, and and having kind of a specialized way of, of looking at food it's definitely confusing and it's it's definitely a really important topic but i mean food is so deeply embedded in all of us you know it's part of our culture and our upbringing and our family and our relationships and every it just has so much deep meanings and you know we always say that everyone eats so everyone has an opinion on food and therefore it's probably one of the most complicated topics out there right now yeah juliana how do we like play off of the intro to this episode by asking you what your feelings are or what you're hearing about people who are at home now and who are challenged to cook for themselves probably a lot more than they ever used to. Are you um, seeing a difference in, is there a trend that's taking place? How is the plant-based diet sort of um, surviving this or thriving in all of this? It's so interesting, this, this specific time right now. I think that it kind of puts a spotlight on the absolute amazing benefits of eating this way. I mean, you know, when I've gone to the stores now and the foods that I eat are mostly untouched. I mean, granted, yes, I saw um, tofu kind of lacking and chickpeas too when yeah. I was in LA, but, but you know, but they're, they're back. And, and I mean, other than that, you know, we saw all the meat counters were empty and that wasn't going to affect my intake, you know, what I was going to get at the store. Um, and, you know, so it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like a push towards a re-emphasis of all these staple foods and why they are so extraordinarily beneficial and easy and accessible and convenient, even in something as extreme as what we're experiencing now. Uh, but there's so many trends happening that I've seen that because there's so much psychologically and socially that's so different and unexpected and unplanned for with the circumstances right now. You know, there's this, you know, we, Ray and I always talk about, you know, that in 2011, chronic overnutrition surpassed chronic undernutrition around the world uh, for the first time in, in history. And so we've always, you know, emphasized this whole concept of chronic overnutrition. And, you know, we have this, this economic abundance where food is everywhere and food is on every corner and every airplane. There's always food around. And for the first time, 
you know, in all, all of our lives, it's like, well, wait a second, maybe, maybe there, there is a concern This this food scarcity came up for the first time in our lives. And it's, it's really interesting and shocking. I mean, like stopped everyone in its tracks. And I, I think a lot of people are having different reactions to it. So, you know, I, I see a lot of people complaining about this quote unquote quarantine 15 where people oh, are yeah. kind of eating more because they're at home and there's just, you know, they're, they're stress eating quote unquote or bored or all this stuff. I'm hearing all these different reasons or people are just experimenting, experimenting more in the kitchen uh, and just, just eating more. So there's that. And there's this whole like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get food. So I'm just going to eat as much as I can right now. Yeah. There's like the survival instinct that's kicking in, which is quite unique, right? We haven't seen that. Yeah, it's like a panic moment of I better pack it on now. You know, our, our sort of evolutionary brains are saying, what if it's not there in the future? Yeah, it's I mean, we never thought we'd go back to this. It's like wild. Um, but then at the other hand, you know, it's a wonderful time to think about why plant-based is such an incredible diet. Like, first of all, you know, all of these things that happen, a lot of these are zoonotic diseases that are stemming from the consumption and production of animal products. You know, you can look at yeah. factory farming and looking at how significant a role it plays in antibiotic overuse, like a huge the most uh, use of antibiotics, which is causing problems. So it's, it's just kind of all these roles are co colliding. And I think it's also really interesting kind of where I focus, because when I work with clients um, to, you know, we, we have a lifestyle transformation program and we have people losing significant amounts of weight and reducing their blood pressure and cholesterol and, you know, just getting healthy. And if you look at these interesting um, where this collision is happening between um, chronic and um, communicable diseases. So this, the coronavirus, you know, you're seeing now that these, these comorbidities and when people have a comorbidity such as obesity or diabetes or something like that, they have a much greater, much more significant chance of having, you know, greater morbidity and mortality from the disease. So there's this kind of intersection that's happening too, um, with why a plant-based diet is so important for everything. It's just kind of like re, yeah. re highlights why we need to eat this way. Yeah, I think that's a super interesting kind of angle for all of this. I think I'll say that this has been my experience as a child myself when I was a child, and then also seeing this in other kids, like thinking about kind of the angle with, um, you know, the sort of family and, and children aspect of this. But I think health is sort of like kind of a removed topic for people who are young and healthy sometimes, um, especially children who are, you know, having a hard time just kind of you know, getting up and dressed for school and um, kind of, you know, getting their clothes on in the morning kind of thing. Um, and now that it, it's right in front of your face, you can't ignore it. You know, this is a time to say, no, there are things you can do to kind of take control of your health. And maybe this is what clicks that in um, for people. Um, so I don't know, have you kind of experienced anything different when it comes to these, this sort of topic around children or any different challenges or opportunities? It's so interesting with children. I mean, they are invincible and they don't see any of that because, you know, I mean, <clears throat> I remember too as a child, like, you, know, you don't, can't imagine getting cardiovascular disease in 50 years. <laughs> can't imagine just, getting old. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, exactly. Gosh, it's just, it's so mind blowing. But um, I, you know, I don't know, like I'm, I'm, the clients I'm working with are more adults and their families are kind of all at home and they're having these great opportunities to cook. I love what you said, Cheryl, about your son. Like that is so cute to make videos, cooking videos, because what a great way to get excited about food and, you know, and, and to make that, a, that's just a, a wonderful <clears throat> way to get children involved in the kitchen and to get them excited. It sounds like they're totally into it. 
Um, and I think that, that I've seen that happening with the families that I'm working with where their kids are just kind of getting involved because they're home and they're, they're maybe more interested or they're, they're just taking more of a, um, more time to get involved in the cooking process. I mean, anytime we have a situation where you can include children in, in the food dialogue, in the shopping, yeah. growing in the garden, um, preparing, choosing meals, executing the meals, they have this vested interest. And that is where the research shows they're going to have more likelihood of appreciating healthy food. And I mean, really, when you, when you talk about that, the most important thing, right, is role modeling. Yeah. And so you're, yep. whatever we do is more important than what we're saying. Yeah. In the, in the beginning of the, uh, before the podcast, you and I were chatting a little bit about my, you know, friendship with T. Colin Campbell and his son, Tom Campbell. And years ago, I did an interview with Tom when his book at the time was called The Campbell Plan, when his book came out. And I asked him about how do you establish a household, a vegan household with younger kids who are, as you say, so um, in tune with what the adults are doing? And how do you encourage healthy eating? And one of the simplest um, tricks, I guess you would call it, that he showed me that we still do every day is having easily grabbable, hand-sized, finger-sized, good foods um, around all the time. So, uh, you know, as simple as a fruit bowl, you know, with fresh fruit that's already been washed, um, that's something the kids will grab because it's right there. You know, our kids are grabbing apples and um, grapes and bananas at a rate that you can't even imagine right now because it's right there. You know, you're just, you're showing them you're leading by example and saying, okay, we're going to have oatmeal with all of these wonderful fruits on top and some maple syrup. And, you know, that's that's a really good, delicious breakfast. Or I have you know, I have a five-year-old right now who's addicted to avocado toast. And <laughs> part of that was the, um, the everything sprinkles, which I'm sure you know about oh, by now. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So that was a game changer in terms of getting them to eat, you know, something like avocado toast. So as we talk about this podcast, Juliana, do you have any in your experience, both with your clients or just um, in your writings, what would be some tips that you would give parents that are so easily translatable to uh, maintaining a plant-based diet in a household right now? Yeah, those are all really, really important. And honestly, the number one overarching, most important thing from all the research and all of you know my experience, and I'm a mom too, so all of it, all combined, is the role modeling. So if you're telling your kids, no, eat your broccoli, and you're over there hustling down the vegan ice cream, <laughs> they're seeing that. French you know, fries. So creating that sense of this is what we do and this is how we eat <clears throat> is really important. <clears throat> Having access to all that great food, like making it palatable and accessible, like you said. Like you want to have easily reachable items like that, like vegetables that are already cut up into, you know, in the fridge that you can yeah. take a grab and, and grab the hummus and just have a quick snack. Um, teaching them little tricks in the kitchen, like, you know, getting them involved, like having them, you know, pick the, even just picking the recipe, you know, if they go through the, say, here's a book, which, which sounds good to you, we'll make it just to get them involved. So they have a vested interest yeah. in the whole thing. Um, and then, you know, not having all the junk food around is really important because if it's there, you know, kids are going to want a cookie. They're going to yeah. want the ice cream. It's, it's, <clears throat> it's there. It's, it's so that, you know, trying to make that impression of, you know, we call it rare and appropriate you know, people and places rather than time between events. So it's like something that's special, a special occasion. We've kind of taken out the special treats out of that concept. You know, it was like, oh, we it's a, it's a treat, but it's become like every day when people are having dessert and all that, and it's not really special anymore. So making those kind of foods more, more rare. Um, and then, you know, having, it's really nice when the whole family's involved. I mean, I think I've seen the most success with families where the 
both parents are on the same page about the food um, because then it's just how it is in the home. And I've seen so many successful families because, you know, that's just what they ate and that's just what they know. And then especially because if they're going out into the real world and school and play dates, although that's not quite happening right now, um, it's, you know, it, you want to just set that foundation at home. And I think that's actually one of the benefits too. There's so many kind of interesting things that are happening because of the quarantine. And I think that could be one of them is that they are in this environment that you are you know, able to kind of control the whole food environment for this period of time that's more extended than usual. And um, that could be helpful too, just in terms of, you know, getting their palate used to certain things, getting their habits used to certain things. Because everything about food is habit. Yeah, I think this is really interesting. And, and as a person who came to this from the you know animal side and came to the health side later, like the um, whole foods plant-based side of things later, one thing that really struck me um, is the idea that if you get that food out of your environment, the other food starts tasting better. Um, and I, I think that that's kind of a foreign concept I mean, I don't want to speak for sort of most people because I had this experience, but I feel like that is true for most people. Like the, especially when it comes to kids, they don't like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's like, well, you don't like it now maybe, but you know, keep trying it. Or, you know, when you're used to eating, you know, greens all the time, and then you're going to try another vegetable that otherwise would have tasted bitter, especially because younger palates, you know, they're going to be more sensitive to that kind of stuff. You're, you're going to be sort of, actually like the new taste um even if two weeks ago when you were eating you know tofurkey not that i'm anything against tofurkey i love it so much um <laughs> and you know vegan ice cream or whatever um it's going to taste you know less appealing so i think that concept that like you know you can intentionally change your taste preferences yeah. by changing the food environment is profound and i think it's especially a big deal when it comes to kids, because you can't, and I think the message I got from some of this whole foods plant-based stuff is like, you can't rely on your willpower. Like, you, you know, you're going to be like you say, Juliana, like, you know, you're going to be at a play date or a birthday party or something. And like, you know, if it's just about like, you know, generally I, you know, I'm going to hold back at some point you're going to be, you know, failing. Um, instead, it, and kids have even sort of less of that and they don't have the, you know, they don't have the impulse control. Um, and you're just on a day-to-day -day basis dealing with the little things here and there, especially with younger kids um, that can use up that kind of willpower, that it's about changing that environment and then, no, they actually do like it. Like, did you know you can like this, I think is a really um, sort of profound and new concept that for me really was a big deal understanding some of this whole foods plant-based stuff. Absolutely. I mean, the, the foods that, you know, I grew up with eating chips and cookies and granola bars and, you know, just standard American, you know, garbage. And, you know, you just, you do, you have to like, if you have that all the time, how could you expect some steamed vegetables to taste good? You know, if you're used to eating all these, I mean, it's hyper palatable by definition, you know, all the sugars and salts and oils and stuff that just make it so um, hard to resist. And once you have that first bite, you can't stop kind of a thing because there's, you know, your palate reacts, your brain reacts, there's dopamine hits that happen. And, you know, kids are definitely, I don't know if they're more vulnerable to that, but they're definitely vulnerable to it. And, you know, if you start their palate a certain way and they grow up enjoying those foods, that's great, but most people don't, you know, most of us don't. And it's really, we're, we're challenged against 
everyone. I mean, I remember having major arguments <laughs> in my home and like blog posts, I would blog about it because it would drive me crazy. Like at a, when my kids were doing sports and it was like the, the snack that they would give them right after, right after their game or right after their practice when their cells are all vulnerable and all that, like the worst time they'd be like eating, you know, fruit punch with I mean, just garbage food, yeah. you know? I mean, it's just, you're bombarded by the stuff. School food is horrible. You know, all of it is like this, you're constantly up against it. So, you know, the best you could, you do the best you can, you, you provide those options, you have them around, you enjoy them, you show your kids how much you love eating them, you know, and you, you, you know, it's, it's what they eat overall that matters most. And I don't, I don't know how possible it is. I only know a few families that were able to keep their kids completely in this bubble away from all of those things, but you just, you kind of navigate it the best you can. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. That's a big part of it too, is that you end up finding yourself, um, feeling uh, guilty or frustrated, or as you say, you know, not everyone can establish and maintain uh, that perfect whole foods plant-based diet for their entire family, their kids and everyone that comes over and keeping the, as, like like I said uh, early on, um, or a couple episodes ago, I'm sorry, uh, I went to that retreat that you know the, the people who hosted the retreat really well. And I spent four days um, eating nothing but a whole food plant-based diet in this meditative setting and felt fantastic and inspired and empowered. And in fact, went out and bought all the ball jars to put all the cut up vegetables in and I make my own salad dressings and I'm really capable of doing it. And then all of a sudden we found ourselves stuck at home where I do fall further into those traps, I would call them, of foods that are much more convenient, things that are air friable or things that uh, the kids will, you know, consume more readily. So it's a commitment. It's also something where for me, and maybe you can touch on this a little bit, um, once I got there, I felt fantastic and I felt different and I I lost 12 pounds almost instantly. And it was all of a sudden my brain was a different place. I was, I was in a different headspace about my own health because of my diet. And I think that's, you know, that's the challenge, but that's ultimately where all of us would like to end up, I think. <clears throat> oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't think everyone recognizes that until they need to a lot of the time. Um, it's it's really interesting in terms of children, especially because, like, you know, I always say you can lead a human to healthy, but you can't make them eat. Because no matter what you want for somebody else, it has to come from within. And with children, yeah. they're not at that, they don't have that, the prefrontal cortex developed you know, in order to make kind of those decisions, like they don't think about when they're going to be 30, 40, 50, they don't think about the threat of diabetes and they just don't worry about that stuff. And, you know, they, they shouldn't have to. And most, you know, fortunately, most people don't, but, you know, it just generally speaking, um, they have to want it. A human has to want to make these choices, but that's what's so great is if you have control, when you have control over the food environment, then you can do the best that you can and you can offer those foods and you can make that available. But yeah, it's very hard to stay in that mindset if you're not motivated and you have like something driving you. You know, all of our clients have a story, have a reason to, that they came to us, that they want to make these significant changes because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable making that first leap. You know, even if you're going from a standard American diet to a plant-based diet, uh, there's a leap. You have to, you have to reframe your your world yeah. and, and your food and food is like i said it's so deeply personal it affects every single part of your life and your how you feel and all that but it has to come from within so it's interesting 
Yeah. Yeah. And then I think there's an additional challenge as a parent, right? I mean, even if you know that your children will make, you know, another choice down the road potentially, or, you know, like you say, they're going to be at a sports game or when you were telling that story, I was kind of laughing because I, when, when we first started shifting, my husband got really into the whole foods plant-based stuff and lost a ton of weight and stuff a few years ago when the kids were pretty little. And I remember being at the beach and with some other families. And it's like on one side of us, there's people with like, you know, like Doritos. The other side, they have like pizza. We have like a bag of steamed potatoes. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, you know, yeah, those are things like, you know, <clears throat> this is where I started asking, okay, <laughs> is, this really, is this really something that we can do? And now it actually feels like pretty normal. Um, but these are transitions, like you're saying, you know, it's something that you have to sort of have that spark to do it. But then I think there's this additional challenge as a parent to say, okay, I want to have kind of a healthy family, healthy food environment, you know, even if there are these sort of external outside in the world challenges. Um, but am I really sure? Like, you know, you go to say a doctor or a pediatrician's office and hear them say things about like, well, how much milk is your child drinking? And it's like, oh, oh, yeah. For vegan, like, you know, and I, I remember having pediatricians say, well, what about soy milk? What about almond milk? I'm like, you know, those are like totally different things, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it is, why are you even asking this? Like, they don't need this. Like, they got human milk, you know? And and if I wasn't so kind of, I guess, disagreeable and assertive about it, you know, I think I can see how that could be like, you know, just kind of get to you over time. Especially, oh yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. My, my doctor, my pediatrician, my kid's pediatrician, you know, we've been to her since the beginning, almost the beginning when they were really little and she like knows my work. And, you know, I wrote a, a physician's guide to plant-based diets for um, Kaiser Permanente's journal and we're members of Kaiser. So it was a Kaiser doctor. So she, she had seen that. And even still, you know, in our, in our conversations, she's sitting there talking to my children. She's like, are you having three servings of milk? And I, I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh. Or like one time <laughs> we came in and the kids had, one of them had a cold. And I said something about, yes, well, the dairy is dairy is congest is congesting or something. And she was like arguing with me. And you're like right in front of the kids, you know, and the kids are like they'd rather they want to hear what they what they want to hear. And and absolutely there's this fear because the doctor knows everything. It's so interesting because my ex-husband is a is a physician and um I sat in on his nutrition classes in med school many, many years ago, and it was like, you know, the extent of it was uh goiter, iodine deficiency rickets vitamin d deficiency okay next topic like that was nutrition okay yeah, yeah. and but yeah and i have a master's in nutrition i studied it i've been teaching it for 25 years it, throughout our whole marriage no matter where we went everyone would ask him the nutrition questions wow so there's this reverence for physicians and a lot of them don't get any or most of them in fact almost all of them get no nutrition education so but they will still in, impose that in when they're talking to the kids. And if there's a, and I had the disagreeable other parent, which is a nightmare. Um, so if you have that, it's like, oh, then you've got fodder. You've got like a doctor to, you know, so it, it gets really complicated if you're not all on the same page, yeah. including your doctor. I can remember, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say like, how do you, what do you sort of arm your plant-based parents with to kind of go out and be confident in the world, you know, and confident with their choices and all that modeling and stuff without feeling like, oh my God, are they going to, you know, die of ricket? <laughs> yeah. You, you arm them with the science. And that's why we have two papers now for physicians, two physician guides to plant-based diets. Um, and, you know, so that basically has all the references. So you can give them all that information, you know, in our books that we've written, they, we have all these sections on where they get their nutrition and all that. So the good news is over the last 15 years since I've been teaching plant-based nutrition, 
there has been an exponential increase in the amount of healthcare practitioners that are witnessing and preach up, uh, not preaching, yeah. practice, like, like witnessing, experiencing it, seeing it from their patients and now implementing it with their patient care. And at least at the least there's more open-mindedness. It's not completely there yet. Cause believe me, I can tell you all sorts of stories about our clients going to their doctors, but I think that it's a different time and it's, it's good because there's, there's just, it's getting out there and it's yeah. way more, um, known about and understood. So that said, you know, you just provide them with the evidence. There's plenty of evidence right now. And even the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics position paper on plant-based diets or vegetarian diets states that a vegetarian diet, including a vegan diet, is appropriate for all stages of the lifespan and can be health promoting. So it's a great position paper. And that's a great thing to hand to a doctor as well, um, because it talks about all of the details and it's all referenced. So science, you can't argue with Good science, and we have a lot of good science um, advocating for myriad benefits of a plant-based diet. Yeah, I can remember um, there was a screening of Plant Pure Nation, which is the film about T. Colin Campbell and a, and a study done in North Carolina. We did a screening in Ithaca. You know, it was attended by a number of Cornell students, and I can remember afterwards there was a Q and A with the director and a Q and A with T. Colin Campbell, and a med student from Cornell University stood up and said. I'm sorry, but I feel like I missed something in the film. How much meat did you say is enough to be healthy? And the whole room was just like, wait, what? Like, were you watching the same movie? Um, because again, she wasn't at that point thinking that, you know, whole foods, plant-based diet, 100% plant-based diet would be optimal for all stages of human health. And it, and it is. So Juliana, I want the conversation to continue, but I also want to make sure uh, for those listeners uh, who stayed tuned for this long, uh, that they can find out more about you, um, what you're up to. I know you have a podcast now. They can find out about you on plantbaseddietitian.com. Any place else you want to send them? Yes, yeah, plantbaseddietitian.com. But we're doing a lot of blogging, and we have our, our Science and Saucery podcast all through healthspansolution.com. Great. So that's another great place Excellent. to find us. <clears throat> So, yeah, we're at this stage now where um, in the house we have, uh, in our, our house, we have a, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old um, who both um, are, you know, obviously 100% vegan because they can't go grocery shopping. That's another <laughs> another big point uh, that's being made an awful, awful lot is that they can't make their food choices. You make them for them. And we're going out shopping once a week and bringing back as much as we can. Um, of healthy foods to, um, you know, keep everybody uh, fed throughout the week. What are some, if you have any, what are some, um, you know, three meal a day tips you might have or places they could go for plant-based recipes? I, I mentioned oatmeal is a great start for our mornings, uh, you know, lunches, easy dinners. What can you, uh, what kind of advice can you give parents who are feeding their families right now uh, and under these conditions? Yes. Well, I have we have hundreds of recipes in our on our websites, but we also just had a we just published a book called The Healthspan Solution in December that has over 100 recipes and they're all made from these foods that we are still able to get, you know, rice and beans yeah. and you know, uh, other whole grains and we just basically soups, salads, sides and sweets. And what I love what we our goal was to make this so easy. So like batch cooking, you know, if you've got a family, you could, you know, make whip up a couple soups, yeah. you know, and then, and you put some of it in the freezer, some of it in the fridge and you can serve it that one meal and then you kind of sh change things up. So you're not cooking huge things every day. Uh, and you just have easy to, easy to grab things. So always having vegetables. I like what you said, putting stuff in a jar, like cutting up. I like to do that once a week or twice a week where I cut up all my vegetables Cucumbers at one time. And peppers, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it makes it so much easier. The other thing that I love now are these convenience foods like the bagged salads, you know, where you have all the cabbage mixes and stuff like that where you could just throw it in a bowl. You don't have to wash and chop. It saves a lot of time. Um, but soups are great. Stews and chilies, all those things are really great because you can make a lot of it and, and just kind of use it throughout the week yeah. and mix it up. So you can make like a few different things and then have, you know, have the kids pick what they want. And you kind of have like, I like to have like a kind of buffet style where there's a lot of easy things. But yeah, I mean, oatmeal is great. Quinoa is also you could do as a, as a breakfast cereal. You know, we take we don't talk about breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks and desserts. We just do anytime eating because it yeah. doesn't really matter what you're eating when. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you said, avocado toast and there's sandwiches and pizzas. You can make pizza, you know, with a tortilla or a pita bread or yeah. um, all those kind of things. I mean, there's so many fun ways to make foods. We have, you know, some veggie burgers. We have a veggie burger formulator in our book um, where you just basically take like, you know, some oats and some grain and some beans and some spices and you can make all sorts of different flavors. Like we have a Tex-Mex and a hippie and a, all these different kind of curry burger, all these different flavor profiles because you could modify so easily with yeah. just some herbs and spices. But, um, you know, whatever they like, it's like just, you know, just offer different options. You know, always having vegetables around is really important. Um, and then you can always batch cook, you know, like you said, potatoes. I always have potatoes on board too, sweet potatoes or regular potato, any kind of potato. Um, I have those around that you could just quickly grab and they make for great quick meals too, where you can um, stuff them, make jacket potatoes, you know, stuff yeah. them with beans I think, and salsa. I, I think soup is a great, especially now here in upstate New York, it's still chilly, but um, soups and chilies and things like that are great because, as you said, they can become other parts of other meals very easily. So there's this cookbook called The Great Life Cookbook. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of Priscilla Timberlake and, and Lewis Friedman. Um, he's actually one of the instructors of T. Colin Campbell's plant-based nutrition Yes, I course. met him when I was teaching. Okay, yes, yeah. He's one, a great friend of mine. And every Friday for 22 years, they've hosted in their house a whole foods plant-based diet, a whole, whole food plant-based dinner. And one of the recipes is a three ingredient uh, butternut squash soup that takes probably 15 minutes to make once the you know butternut squash and the onions have been boiled. And um, that soup is brightly colored, it's beautiful, and then it could become the first day it's a soup, the second day it's put on top of rice, the third day it's put on top of pasta. And the kids love it because it's this bright golden colored, delicious, it has maple syrup in it, so it's a little bit sweet. Um, but making things like that ahead of time, making things like that for your dinner tonight and then expecting it to last for a couple of lunches is just a great tip, I think, for a lot. Of, there's a lot of great ingredients out there that become these super simple sauces and soups. Oh, my gosh. Yes, that's exactly what we do. Like I use we'll make a big batch of chili or something and I'll have it either just hot in a bowl or then I'll do it over a baked potato one day. Or I do a lot of times I'll do Ray always <coughs> teases me because everything ends up on a salad for me. Cause I just oh, yeah. Yep. Salad. So I just I wouldn't I use soup as dressing <laughs> and a topping for a salad. Um, but yeah, and you can make them user friendly for kids too, because whatever whole grain they like, pasta, like you said, is an amazing food. My kids love pasta. They eat it all the time. And now they have all these fun noodle, different types of noodles. Like you can get lentil pasta and, and black bean pasta and, and soy pasta. And that's kind of great because then you're giving them some more variety without them, you know, complaining, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is common for the younger children. But um, there's a lot of versatility. There's so much versatility in a plant-based diet. It's, it's quite extraordinary. So is there anything that, you know, I mean, like I'm hearing this and going like, yes, yes, that's awesome. And then I'm trying to hear it from my sort of skeptical outsider point of view and thinking, you know, are, is there anything that's like a really important point or misconception, a hurdle that people often sort of come to you 
with and have a hard time kind of getting over? And and what would that be? And how would you kind of coach them through it for well, sort of families and children? Well, I would say in general, and this applies to children and everyone, is we call it macro confusion. And I think macro confusion is one of the, the biggest contributors to all of the misinformation and not understanding. And this is why people come out every time you say plant-based and they say, where do you get your protein? It's because of macro confusion. And if we stopped using carbohydrates, proteins, and fats as food groups and using them to define foods, and we stopped talking about that, and we just focus on telling people to eat vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, mushrooms, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices in tasty combinations of soups, salads, sides, and sweets, then you know what you're talking about. People know what beans are and legumes and mushrooms, and but nobody knows what a carb is and, no, and everyone's misusing it. And if people are worried about high carb, low carb, you know, just tell them to look at a potato and a potato, a white potato has a better amino acid profile than does 90% lean beef which is like the perfect wow. example of why everyone is so confused. It's not a carb. It's not, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. And I think if people just let go of those labels and just start talking about foods, like bring the conversation back to actual foods as opposed to biochemistry terms that are irrelevant when it comes to what we eat, that would be huge in ameliorating our conversation. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think when I went vegan, so I was vegetarian for a long time. I had to like convince my parents to let me to do it and go to the library and all this stuff. And then I figured, you know, I wanted to go vegan when I was, I was like, like 13. I wanted to go vegan, but my parents were like, I'm not, you know, making a bunch of different meals. Like I have four siblings. This was just would have been too much. And so my mom said, when you buy your own food, you can, you know, do whatever you want. And so I was in college and I was in Ireland and I, and I learned that cheese isn't always vegetarian, right? Cause they have rennet and cheese. And so at that time I was like, well, you know, I'm still on my parents' dime. I really go vegan, but I can get rid of cheese because I'm not vegetarian. That to me was the moment that I shifted into that mindset. Before that, I didn't really think of like, let's say kale and black beans and whatever as like food, if that makes sense. <laughs> It seemed to be like a thing you had, but then also like I could be, I could basically eat as a meat eater without the meat while I was slating cheese. When I got rid of cheese, it was a much different process where so much more color ended up on my plate. So much more like mental shift about like, yeah, this food, this is what I want. This is good. Not to say I was like, you know, a perfect non-junk food eater. Like definitely not. Like, I really overdid Thai coconut curries for a while. Um, and I think that um, being able to kind of, you know, have to have a radical enough shift away from the standard American diet to, to actually look at that stuff on your plate as food, as the thing that makes up the meal rather than, okay, well, it's just, you know, cheese pizza, which is a meal is food or whatever. Um, and then I can have, you know, whatever my meat analog with it. And then that's like, you know, the same meal I would get if I was at, you know, a roller a roller rink or something, you know what I mean? Like whatever the the junk food stands were giving, I was trying to approximate that until I gave up cheese. And then I had to be like, okay, no vegetables and fruit and grains and beans and everything. And I think that that was a big shift. That was a much bigger shift for me than going from vegetarian to vegan or going from meat eater to vegetarian. I mean, we really have to redefine the plate. When you're transitioning to this way of eating, it is a complete redefinition of what we see as a plate and what what represents a meal and like you're saying so you know we're giving up what 
five ingredients when you go plant-based, you, you know, red meat and poultry, however you want to divine. I think it's like five or seven ingredients. But then when you start to, when you stop, it's like, well, now what do I'm supposed to eat? Because you're not used to it. Like we were raised eating a certain way. We are raised, you know, recognizing like the big piece of meat in the middle of the plate or the omelet or whatever. And then a little bit of vegetable and a little bit of grain. And that's just what we're used to. So it is kind of like this, well, it's, it's overwhelming at first, but it's a trans a transition and it just takes time to kind of think, oh, wait, I could eat this and I could eat that. And I'm going to try this new ingredient. I'm going to try this new recipe and just building your repertoire. But like I always say, most people only rotate between maybe one or two breakfasts, maybe three to four lunches, maybe five to six dinners in a week. And that's pushing it. So we really only need about eight to 10 recipes that we love to eat and we know how to make, and we don't have to think about or stress out about, like stuff that we could just make, and that becomes habit. So you learn these, you find the recipes you love, and you just rotate them in, and then it just becomes part of your regular day. So it's just, and it's just redefining what we know. It's like learning a new language. It just, it takes time and practice and consistency, and then you just turn it into a habit, and that just becomes what you know. I love that. I have one fun way to close out this episode, and Cheryl, you can go first. You ready? ready what are we going to find in your refrigerator or pantry right now what are the things that you um always have on hand the things that you and your family are always going to eat the things that are part of your sort of daily weekly diets we always have some kind of salsa um some kind of interesting I've said before, it's not refrigerated because we use it in the Zoji Rushi, but some kind of cooked rice or, or like lentils. Um, we Right now we have a bunch of pickled vegetables that we pickled ourselves to make banh mi, but then I've been like repurposing them to put them on rice with like some avocado and like whatever, like miso or something or furikake, um, cucumbers, tomatoes, like, and then we always have apples, oranges, and bananas. Whatever. Juliana, what does your kitchen look like? Well, okay, so <laughs> I feel like I've been kind of training for quarantine my whole life. <laughs> I am always overly stocked. Like I'm a hoarder of healthy foods. Just I don't know. I always have had this instinct. I don't know why. It's you know, it's always gotten me in trouble. But I if you know, when I go home to California to Los Angeles, I've got all my beans. All my, I've got dried grains, I've got salsas and marinara sauce and all that stuff. Like my pantry is stocked. And then when I'm going to go to the store, like I'm always going to have the mixed salad bags, like the cabbage bag, like the mixes. I always have that in my fridge. I always make a cauliflower rice um, and I always have hummus <laughs> and like some sort of kale. <laughs> Those, but I always, it's like a lot, I love vegetables and I love salad and I put everything I eat on top of that. So it all starts with the salad. That's great. That's all all good uh, ingredients, obviously. Good tips as well. Oh, oh, and I have to, I'd be remiss because my daughter could go through a, a whole cube of tofu a day. Yeah. I have to slow her down. <laughs> but there's always tofu in the house too. All, all different, <laughs> yeah. Pets. All the different textures of tofu, whatever they are, from silken, which we use in, when we make uh, sundubu jjigae and other Korean soups, on up to extra firm that we use when we uh, press it in a panini press with some teriyaki sauce on it to make some like tofu steak. So yeah, tofu is a big part of our diet. Oh, you guys just got me so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, thank you so much, Juliana Hever. This has been uh, such an incredible episode. I'm sure that, that the listeners have gotten such value out of your expertise. Again, any other plugs you want to um, add to the end of the episode, we would more than welcome uh, hearing about them. 
Well, thank you both, Eric and Cheryl. I'm grateful to be here. And yes, you know, find me at um, on Science and Sorcery, our podcast, and at healthspansolution.com and plantbaseddietitian.com as well. Thank you. Yes, thank you both so much. Uh, if you have any ideas for upcoming episodes, you can email us at uh, veganfamily at triveg.com. Again, this is Eric Lindstrom with Cheryl Leahy. Um, and be well. Thank you for tuning in to Animal Outlook's Vegan Family Podcast. Have episode ideas or questions about going vegan? Email us at govegan at triveg.com. Since 1995, Animal Outlook has served as an unwavering force, bringing about positive changes for animals. Please consider a tax-deductible donation today. Visit AnimalOutlook.org for more.